Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, we have a very special guest on with us tonight as we record this on Thursday night, the night before the softball super regionals in Tempe, where Northwestern is going to be taking on Arizona State. Uh, Noah Kaufman, um, first of all, thanks so much for jumping on with us today. Uh, You've been calling Northwestern softball games for a long time now, right? Yeah, five years now, uh, including this year. Uh, It's a a blast to be with you guys, no doubt. I'm excited. Yeah, we're definitely excited to have you on, especially because, you know, with your proximity to the team, I mean, you've got some inside knowledge that we just don't have, you know, watching this team from afar. Um, I know John had the great fortune to be at the uh, clinching game of the regionals uh, last Sunday. So um, definitely want to get your thoughts on that, John. But, uh, I mean, Noah, like this team, I mean, we've been saying it all all season long. This is a special team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 been an evolution really ever since, you know, you look at this senior class uh, as sort of when they got it as freshmen, kind of changing the trajectory of the program, right? It was it was their freshman season, their first season with the program, which was when the, the, the 2019 Evanston Regional happened where Northwestern hosted and was a 16 seed and uh, had to come back from the loser's bracket to get past Louisville um, and ended up losing Oklahoma in the in the Super Regional as the 16 against the one in what was kind of a brutal matchup. But it was that season and that freshman group that sort of set the stage for what this team has grown into. And now with all those players as seniors and some of them even potentially coming back next year with the COVID year, um, we're starting to see that that promise, that potential um, from 2019 blossom really for the squad. So given that, again, like like we were saying, you've covered something like, you know, 50 games, softball games over the past five years, you've done it with WNUR, you've done it with BTN Plus, you were working with ESPN for the for this regional this past weekend. Um, you're talking about 2019 watching this class. There moments where you're being like, okay, I'm seeing an evolution at this stage, or I'm seeing an evolution at this stage. Like are, when you, when you think of like, all right, that, that team in 2019 to where they are now, are there specific like markers on that road that you think where you're like, oh, wow, this is like an evolution going on here. I mean, absolutely. First of all, it's it's been such a bumpy road, right? Because COVID really set the team back. And this is something that uh, Coach Kate Rohan talks a lot about when she does when 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 she does availabilities. Um, you know, it was so the 2019 season was such a building block for that team, right? And then 2020 comes, and they sort of got to a slow start out of the gates, and then COVID right before the Big Ten Big Ten play started, you know, blew the whole season up. And then the next year, it was the All Big Ten schedule, um, and sort of the variability of that and the change within that. Um, and, and the team really took some steps back. I mean, I was at the, I was at the Lexington regional last year where Northwestern was the four seed within the regional, one of the last teams in the tournament field, probably the last team in the tournament field, although I don't think that was ever actually, um, officially declared, um, and went to Lexington and, and battled, but that just wasn't the same team that this is. And, and there's a, there's a variety of reasons for it. I mean, I think the number one, the number one turnaround that you look at 
just from last season to this season for me, um, because pitching is such an important part of the game in softball is Danielle Williams and, and what she's been able to do in terms of growth. I mean, so, so fantastic as a first year, right? Just blowing everybody away within the conference national freshman of the year in 2019. And then really having to, adjust her routine and her rhythm over the past two seasons with all the uncertainty, you know, something Johan talked a ton about with regards to her specifically, those four game weekends, every single weekend last year in big 10 play, she said that those really threw, you know, every player out of rhythm, but especially Williams and especially the pitching staff because of the increased workload. And because it was every single week, you know, there was no weeks off because of the condensed nature of that season, um, the, the COVID shortened year. Um, and so she thinks she said that, that she thinks that, going back to normal has really allowed Williams to blossom. But I mean, you saw it at the very beginning this year that this team had a swagger about it. That was a little bit different. It's something, um, you know, the win against UCLA jumps out um, as, as sort of the big upset that really kicked things off, but all through the first couple weekends of the season, this is a team that was consistently playing close games against top flight competition. You know, they played a, a number of different teams that are in the super regionals with them right now um, and hung tight in all of those games and won most of them. Um, with late hits, with with clutch hitting, with clutch play, with just not backing down against teams that were of equal or greater talent to them. And I think that's something you saw from the very jump um, this season that, you know, I'm not sure we've seen completely for a full season with the Northwestern softball team since I, I certainly haven't seen it since since I was eight, really. Uh, I wouldn't have seen it when I was eight, but I'm saying, you know, you got to go back to the Women's College World Series teams to to look at a team with that much full lineup swagger if that makes sense that that team had a lot of had a lot of swagger to your point at the same time i don't feel like we've ever seen a northwestern softball team that thumps like this one does i mean the 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 moonshots coming from lewis or zedek or 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 judd or or nelson like like there's so much power in the lineup and that that seems like a stark difference between what we saw last year uh, and, and 2019 and, and even that college world series team that was, you know, so, so effective on, on Eileen Kenny's arm and, you know, right. all red setting the table, you know, from the top of the lineup, right. Th- we, we said at the beginning of this season, you know, we were worried about secondary pitching behind Williams. And then we wanted to see the team hit in spots against top teams in softball. And they have, they've done that in spades and it has made it so much fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're gonna get into this more when we talk about the actual matchup, which I can't wait for, by the way, because it's it's a it's especially relevant there. But absolutely, the full lineup contribution has been something that I've never seen with a, with a Northwestern softball team. Certainly, I mean, you look at you know seventy three home runs jumps off the page; they're on pace to set a program record for single season home runs. But then you look at where the home runs come from, right? There are six different starters with at least eight home runs. This is not one of those College World Series teams that had power in the middle of the lineup. But like you said, a more traditional build of, you know, a couple on base, uh, a couple hitters that were going to get on base at the top of the order, a couple hitters that were scrappy at the bottom of the order, more in there for their defense that were trying to turn the lineup over. This is power throughout the lineup, right? I mean, you look at Lewis, of course, with 21 bombs, but the two spot, the five spot, the three spot, the four spot, the seven spot. And the sixth spot all have hit at least uh, eight homers. And there's plenty of thump in the other parts of the lineup, too. Um, And just the consistency with which at least one part of this lineup has been able to contribute um, for almost all of this season. And it really came through last weekend when, you know, it was all nine players in the order just absolutely bashing the ball all weekend long. It absolutely is new. This team is breaking all sorts of offensive records. 
held by previous Northwestern squads, Rachel Lewis breaking individual records left and right. Um, it's a new era in terms of Northwestern offense. I think there's no doubt about that. I it's it's hilarious. I mean, to say that every one of these every member of this team, you know, that plays has hit bombs. It's like it, it doesn't even go far enough. I can name a specific home run. Every yeah. one of them hit. Like, I mean, it's like <laughs> I remember Skylar Schellmeyer right? hitting her first home run. Right. I mean, yeah. and it's like it's just like just this past weekend. Right. Lewis hits a moonshot. Rudd dents the wall of Welsh Ryan. Zedek puts one on the roof. Right. Um, Nikki yeah. goes yeah. oppo on a home run and puts one over the fence. And it's like that's just this past weekend. It's like they're yeah. all. And it's it, like you said, the power's coming from everywhere. I'm wondering if you're like, again, like like we talked briefly before the pod and we were like, it's basically this same cast of characters, to your point, in Lexington last year and last season. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just so I mean, you, I guess you talked a little bit about it with potential COVID and everything. But what do you think has contributed to just this across the board leap? Well, I, I think that this is a team that does a lot of, you know, not to get too far into the weeds here. This team does a lot of really next level work. Um, they work with Justin Stone, formerly of Elite Baseball, who's now uh, they did a lot of work with him. I'm not sure if they continued that work. He's now employed by the Cubs full time um, with some next level hitting stuff in terms of um, measuring like exit velo and how to and how to increase that and, and like balance at the plate um, and how to like maximize power against certain pitches in certain zones. They're doing analytics work that not a lot of other programs in the country are doing, to my knowledge. And I don't have full knowledge of those types of programs, but I know that that's been something that the Drohan specifically, you know, Carol, Carol Drohan, the hitting coach and the associate head coach and Kay Drohan, the head coach, um, have really emphasized over the past couple of years with this program. And I think that does play a huge role in what you're seeing in terms of, like you said, John, every player making improvements, right? I mean, you go through the lineup, every player is better than they were last year. Every single hitter. There's not a hitter that has taken a step back anywhere in this lineup. So I think that has to be chalked up to a full team improvement of some sort. And I think that comes comes with that kind of thing. I mean, you look at a player like Skylar Schellmeyer, who had a breakthrough season last year hitting and has now brought the walks with it, right? She's walked 20 times this season. She did not have 20 walks in her career coming into this year. Um, just players adding elements to their offensive game that did not, that were not there previously. I mean, Grace Nito started off the season ice cold. She was hitting uh, right around 200 for pretty much the first month and a half of the season. She's up to 336. That's how hot she's been, you know, in her first season over the back half of the season. That's not something you see with a lot of freshmen is they get hot down the stretch of the first season. You know, usually you start out hot if you're coming in as a really talented first year and then teams figure you out and you cool down a little bit. Um, she's at sort of the opposite experience, but you know, it really is throughout the order, um, the approaches, you know, the patience with throughout the lineup and the power surge throughout the lineup that shows you um, how it's come together as a full team. Well, one thing that really strikes me, and uh, it, it's something that you can just see, is how much this team loves each other. I mean, yeah. they, uh, you can see the, the camaraderie, the chemistry that they have, and it's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, that freshman class came in again. I, I think it's it's it speaks to 2019 again. I mean, Rachel Lewis is a, is a fantastic leader, but it's that class together as seniors right now. You're talking about Cochran, Shellmeyer, Rudd, Nelson um, uh, as the core, along with Williams. Um, that's your middle of the order right there, right? That's Shellmeyer, your, your leadoff hitter. That's Rudd, 
uh, Nelson Cochran, your three, four, five, and that's Daniel Williams, your ace uh, in the circle in terms of the leaders in that senior class. I mean, there's there's plenty of other veteran leaders on this team who, who don't get quite as much love. Emmy Farnham uh, typically is a pinch runner. Uh, one example there. Um you know, Sydney Supley, uh, first year as an upperclassman, has come into her own, kind of claimed that eight spot in the order. But but it's the it's that senior class that has claimed those lineup spots as freshmen and held on to them, and that brings so much energy. I mean, everybody talks about Schellmeyer, but Nelson and Rudd bring all sorts of energy as well. Lewis, when she wants to, can bring the energy too. You know, it's it's that group together that really makes it happen, I think, and that has kind of fostered that culture or helped foster the culture that. I think they would tell you was already there with some of the seniors before that. Morgan Newport, who has stayed on this year. Um, I don't know what her official role is with the team, but she's some sort of graduate assistant and she coaches first base. Um, That 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 group has helped really put into place um, that mentality that that certainly has spread throughout the team. So looking ahead to this weekend, I mean, we've got Arizona State, um, you know, and and Should Northwestern have gotten a higher seed than Arizona State and maybe be hosting this super regional? Maybe that I mean that that's a whole other discussion. But um, you know, cats are down in Tempe. It's a late night starts uh, for for the for these super regionals. But you know, Arizona State comes in. You know, they're hitting pretty well as well. Like, what are we looking at uh, from this Sun Devil squad? There's a lot of really fun um, individual matchups here and individual storylines within this series. I I think the first thing that springs to mind, and certainly not the most important thing, but the first thing you think of is just how much success Northwestern has had against the Pac-12 this year. Um, I'm pretty confident. I can't imagine. I don't have the official stat on this, so feel free to, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I can't imagine Northwestern has had another season where they've won this many games against the Pac-12. The Wildcats, we already mentioned that UCLA win. Um, I think anybody's been paying attention remembers that. Northwestern has beaten... UCLA, Oregon, Washington, and Stanford this season. Um, Daniel Williams pitching all those games. Just real quick to interject, too. We should mention, too, relative to the fact, like what Sam was saying off the top about the seeding, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you could easily argue ASU and Northwestern should both be seeded higher because right. Bama right. crashed out, Tennessee crashed out, FSU crashed out, Oregon yep. State and Stanford won regionals. Yeah. Right. And it's like, so, well, I mean, it's here's, like, here's what I was looking like, through there. Is, yeah. The cats did this in a year when the Pac 12 is really good. <laughs> right. That, here's what I was leaning into. Uh, who, you know, who's another team that's beaten all those teams? That would be Arizona State, who won the Pac 12 regular season title when 20 and four in Pac 12 play. Um, and, you know, I say Pac 12 regular season title, there is no Pac 12 tournament, but they, they won the Pac 12. Um, and and we're dominant in doing so. And so it's really it's really actually funny to see all these common opponents between these two teams that both of them beat. The only team that um, that they that Arizona State actually lost to in Pac-12 play in a series was Stanford, who Daniel Williams no hit. And like you mentioned, John, is right. currently in the Super Regional against Oregon State. So the Pac-12 sort of dominance in the postseason has been a boon for Northwestern really in terms of bumping up what their resume looks like. Not that the resume part of it matters anymore. Um, but really you look back on some of those wins earlier this season for Northwestern and none of those were really blowouts. Um, but wow, they start to bring on some luster and then you look at Arizona state and they've got wins against all the same teams. And to kind of extend that a little bit further, if you'll allow me to the last nine teams that Arizona state has faced nine games that they've played, have all been against common opponents with Northwestern. Their soup, their their regional matchup was 
Cal State Fullerton as their four in their regional, and then San Diego State as a three who who upset LSU um, and ended up playing against um, Arizona State twice. Northwestern has played both those teams. They lost to Fullerton. They beat San Diego State, who Arizona State just beat twice. And then their their last two series of the season were at UCLA and at home with Washington. Um, or I have those um, um, uh, switched around, actually. It was at home with UCLA at Washington. But either way, Northwestern's played all those teams. And Northwestern's looked good against most of those teams. But the thing that Arizona State has done against those teams that Northwestern wasn't quite able to do is really lay the lumber. This is an offense that is very scary. And I can get into it in depth. Um, that's the number one matchup that everybody with an outside perspective is looking at in this series. There's no reason to think that it's not going to be Danielle Williams in the circle for as long as possible. If I had to guess, I would say she's not missing a re- a meaningful inning in this weekend um, in the circle, the way the Northwestern's pitched right now. I mean, Kate Drohan has said that Lauren Boyd has been day to day multiple times over the past month. There's no indication about forward progress on her injury that has kept her out for a long time now. Um, without Boyd, I think. It's good. And, and even if she is there, I think it's going to be Williams ride or die. And it's going to be Williams ride or die against an extremely impressive Arizona state lineup, especially at the top of this lineup. So I, w- I wanted to dig into Williams a little bit because, it, you know, there was some interesting discussion earlier on in the season about how she was being deployed just a little bit differently this year, right. you know, um, as opposed to starting her two games a weekend and pretty much not pitching her in the third game. Uh, you know, they'd often use her in relief, et cetera. I think, you know, when you look at at some of her stats at, at a high level, same number of as appear, of appearances as she had her freshman year, 44. Uh, but she's started six fewer games. She's got like what, roughly 13 or 14 fewer innings. Um, that that all being said, though, it feels like the last couple weeks as, as the yeah. season kind of came to a close, you've seen her generally going out there pitching complete games. What like what's your assessment of of her tank and her and her her um, durability at this stage? Like like out of these three games with Arizona State, I mean, will she? You said yeah. you know meaningful inning. Will she pick? Will she pitch two complete games essentially? Will it be more than that? I I, I don't think they're taking her out. Um, I would be shocked if they took her out for an inning all weekend, unless unless she's really getting hit hard. Uh, here's what Kay Drohan said leading up to regional week. Um, she said, you know, we've been very cautious with it. This is not a direct quote, but she essentially said, we've been very cautious with Danielle's usage, you know, kind of what you talked about, guys. Um, leading up to those last couple of weeks in the season, she was below that freshman pace because mm-hmm. those last couple of weeks have really amped that up. Um, yep. She said, we've been cautious with her usage, exactly what you alluded to. We were sitting her out of third games in a weekend. We they, we didn't pitch her as much against a team like Iowa, um, against teams that we didn't feel like we needed her as much for. And that has allowed us to feel comfortable enough to go sort of full on the gas pedal um, going forward into the postseason. I think it's Danielle Williams' full go. I think it's her senior season. Uh, she never wants to come out of the circle. I mean, they talked about it on the ESPN broadcast in the um, – in game two last weekend against McNeese, the first the first McNeese game where Northwestern had taken the huge lead after the third inning. But Williams came back out for the fourth and they asked Drohan about it after the game. She said, well, Danielle came to me. She said, I want to go back in for the fourth inning. I don't want to leave this game on a bad note after she had given up three in the third inning. She wanted to pitch that fourth to make sure she closed out the game well. Lauren Dvorak ended up coming in to pitch the fifth inning. But she wants to pitch as much as possible. They want her to pitch as much as possible. She's not coming out. Now, here's what I will say. That doesn't mean there's not reason to be concerned about Williams going deeper into weekends. Now, I don't think the Drohans and staff are concerned, but I will say that there has been some evidence this season that when she's gone deeper into a weekend, 
stuff has starting to weaken. Now, is that because there hasn't been speed drops? There hasn't been that I've seen at, at least noticeable spin drops. There's a good chance it's just teams seeing her longer and picking up on some of the stuff she throws and getting around on it better. Um, but there have been times over the course of this season where as she's gone deeper into weekends, she has struggled a little bit more. The one stat that kind of jumps out to me um, is her, her walk rate. Yeah. So, you know, she, she's issued, you know, just a, a scant 18 more walks this year than last year, but with, you know, the slightly reduced innings, like on a, on a, on a, on a per better basis. Right. That's oh, here's, um, a thing. here's another thing you have to look at uh, that a lot of people don't look at. Danielle Williams has 10 more hit by pitches than any other pitcher in the country. She has hit 40 batters. Oh, wow. fascinating. Yes. Is right. a pro, I, I, it has to be a program record. They don't keep records for these things. It's a shocking amount of hit batters. There's up up from 25 her freshman year. Wow. Yeah, 25 her freshman year, 40 this year. There's reasons for it. Um, she spins a lot of she, – she, she's a heavy curveball pitcher, which means she throws pitches with, with glove side run that will spin directly into right-handed batters. You know, when she's trying to go for that inside corner and bust batters inside, they'll spin into batters, and batters are not getting out of the way of her pitches. Let me tell you that. They are more than happy – to stick an elbow out and take their free ride to first. So all that is true. Um, but the hit batters have been a problem all year and, and it's going to, there's no reason it shouldn't continue to be a problem, especially when you add the 40 hit batters to the 64 walks. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're staring at 104 free passes in 217 and two thirds innings, which is yep. not the sort of walk rate she wants to be looking at. No, definitely not. It, it is interesting. And it, it kind of, to go back to what you're saying, that we should give credit to, you know, Dvorak, Lauren Boyd, even Sydney Supley, yeah. like you were saying, I mean, I, you know, to, to juxtapose the work rate and what we're going to need out of, of Daniel Williams and the kind of positioning um, that coach Drohan has done this season in the, in the Evanston regional during the Oakland game, they brought up the fact that Oakland's pitcher has pitched in every single yes. game this season. Yeah. And I think it's, wow. it's, it's a huge difference. She's a bit of an outlier, but yes. Right. Yes. But yeah, but I mean, it's just like, it's, it's one of those things where the, you know, the wheels are going to come off of that wagon eventually. And I think they're, well, you know, I, again, right. And again, I think it's, you look at last year, I don't know how much, I don't know how closely you guys are watching the women's college world series. Odyssey Alexander threw well over 300 innings last season for James Madison. And yeah, I guess the wheels sort of came off at the end. Oklahoma got to her a little bit, but she pitched yeah. them all the way to the semifinals. So yeah, no. So I guess it's true, um, both ways. But I mean, regardless, I think you know we've talked about right the the problems with hit bats, and like you're saying, it, it has to do with the fact that I think Danielle Williams. I mean, to your point, I guess compared to a lot of people, I don't remember um, everybody. I think a lot of people think of of a top college pitcher being you know a very tall, very you know very large. Very Physical large approach. pitcher, yes. bringing yeah. heat, right? right. Just exactly. Seventy-five mile an hour, heat. well, seventy mile an hour rise balls. Yeah, exactly. Right, bringing exactly. Whereas she's, I mean, her, you know, her dead, you know, her her money maker is that changeup, which is just right. absolutely filthy. But yeah. with that said, if you know, if we're assuming that you know everything is set the table for this, we're getting the best Danielle Williams we can get. What is she up against? What what are we looking at here? Well, she's up against a lot. Uh, this is an Arizona State lineup that is the best lineup in the Pac-12 comfortably. They're one of the best lineups in the country. Uh, there's some, there's certainly some scarier lineups out there, but they they are sort of the total package. I mean, it's not 
it's not not a top-heavy lineup, if that makes sense. You're looking at a couple key hitters here at all times. Yanira Acuna and Sidney Sanders are the two names to absolutely be scared of for Northwestern fans. When you see 24-1 and at the plate, you're potentially in a lot of trouble. Those are two young players, um, especially Sanders, um, who I believe was the Pac-12 freshman of the year this year, um, who have hit well over 400 over the course of this season, and they're not doing it as slap hitters like Skyler Schellmeyer. Acuna is hitting 431 with 13 bombs. And if you thought that was good, Sanders is hitting 424 with 21 bombs. These are players that hit early. They hit often. Sanders has 39 walks to 12 strikeouts on the season, which doesn't even really seem possible. Um, these are these are hitters that are always a threat in the batter's box. They are not going to go down easy in terms of strikeouts. This is not a team that strikes out very often. It's a team that walks a whole lot. They're reminiscent of Northwestern in that. They have more combined walks and hit by pitches, and they get hit a lot too, by the way. 64 hit by pitches as a team is a healthy number offensively. More walks and hit by pitches than strikeouts as a team, which is frightening. So it's those two that you really have to worry about. Now, the rest of the lineup, is not exactly easy to get through, but once you get past those first two, it cools off a little bit. Now, Alina Torres and Jasmine Hill both have four, have 14 home runs each as well. This is a team that has five players with double-digit home runs, and those two are both hitting well over 300. They're very capable hitters to back up those top two hitters, but the rest of this lineup is a little bit more workable, if you will. You've got um, some capable defenders that hit the ball pretty well, but if you can get through the top and middle of that order – you've got a chance. Now, the issue is getting through the top and middle of that order is a very tall task. So speaking of capable, I think the the weak link, if you will, for Arizona State is there is in the circle. Right. Um, and, and I wouldn't like I don't I, I don't know it enough. It's, to, it was 42 and nine in the Pac-12. <laughs> you know, well, I, yeah, I don't know that, that I could say that this is bad, but, you know, so they have three starting pitchers who have, have you know, split up their innings pretty evenly, right? Yeah, they're they're sort of the anti-Oakland uh, in that in that in that respect. They they use there is no other team that is in an elite in elite level team besides Notre Dame, I would say, who Northwestern avoided seeing uh, last week that uses three pitchers in as equal measure. Um, and I'm not talking about using him in garbage innings. It uses three pitchers in his equal measure in important innings as Arizona State, not another team in the country. And now, now what's interesting to me is like, like none of them are an ace, right? They've all got right. like relatively Absolutely. similar stats. So Marissa, Marissa Schultz is, is has the best ERA at one one nine nine. By comparison, I only looked at one other team here, but by comparison, Stanford's like all of their starting pitchers are sub two. So Stanford, like Stanford has a great rotation, but yes. right. So, so like the, 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 like, yes, Arizona state's going to hit Northwestern is going to need to hit. And, and, yes. and per our conversation earlier around like the thump in this lineup, like to me, that's the opportunity that the cats have this weekend. Like if Dan- Daniel Williams can give him a chance, but, if, but the bats need to show out for the cats to advance. Absolutely. Right. Here's, here's where I'm optimistic offensively for Northwestern. First of all, all you got to do is look at last weekend. This is a team that is peaking at the right time offensively. It certainly seems that way, at least. Um, you know, you, when you score, uh, doing quick math, and I had 36 runs uh, in just 15 offensive innings. Um, it was a lot. Last weekend, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're clearly riding high. Now, McNeese's staff is not Arizona State staff, okay? Arizona. It, it, we mentioned Arizona State staff is the weaker part of the two parts of the team. It is miles better, maybe not miles. It is better significantly than what you're going to see out of a team like McNeese or Oakland. Sure. Um, 
But at the same time, the the, the positive for the Cats, it, especially when you look past Schold, who, like you mentioned, has been great, throwing the least innings out of those starters. I think she missed a little bit of time with an injury, but she's I think she's fine now. 84 and a third innings, 90 strikeouts for Schold, which is solid. The other two pitchers, uh, Lopez and Morgan, have way fewer strikeouts than innings pitched. This is not a team that walks people. This is not a team that gives up home runs. But they will give up contact. And Northwestern thrives off of that a lot of the time. This is a team that loves to put the ball in play. Obviously, in Skyler Schellmeyer and Grace Nito, they've got two players who, you know, thrive on infield singles. They've got a lot of speed throughout the lineup. But most of all, they have a lot of line drive hitters. You know, this is a team that in Northwestern that gets in their biggest trouble when they're not getting the chance to put the ball in play with runners in scoring position when they face big strikeout pitchers like an Alex Duraco of Michigan, um, like an Autumn Pease of Minnesota, uh, who, you know, really came on strong down the stretch for that team. Um, uh, it as well for Minnesota, uh, who who can strike them out in big moments and, and, and sit them down in that way. If they can avoid those Ks against a team like Arizona State and battle in the box, they have a, a, a huge chance to score a lot of runs by by just putting the ball in play and, and letting their approach do the work. Obviously, we we would in no way want to put the cart before the horse, but obviously everything everything we're talking about, right? Every, everything we're saying in terms of the you know the potential talent that that Arizona State can bring from the mound, but certainly everything that they're going to bring at the bats. I mean, you know, beyond for, for the winner of this matchup, beyond this lies Oklahoma. So I mean, it's it's more of the same if you know get it in now right it's it's this is this is where we are in the season right it's like only awesome yes, teams yes. from from this point forward kind of circling back to something that we talked about before or um and again this you know the analysis i mean it's obvious that you're you're someone who knows this team and really knows the softball landscape as well as anyone right now again you've called for btn you know you've worked games with espn you've called a million games you know while you're a student at northwestern um with this team in particular, though, I'm I'm curious. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about all season is almost the hearts and minds aspect of this team, right? And they're they're all the numbers, but I think one of the things we've talked about from the beginning is that we can take this and you know, and we can say, okay, 95, 96, 2000, the great football seasons, right? The right. tournament season for basketball, et cetera. This there are certain seasons that have a feel to them, right, yes. where there yep. is this magic. Right. And it's a magic in terms of like the wins and the and the banners, but also um, the personalities on the team and the great moments that you remember. Absolutely. And I, and I'm wondering, as someone who's really had a front row seat to this team, but specifically this season, what are the moments for you? Like, what are the ones that that's that jump out to you that you're like, you know, I'll always take this out of this season? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, I, I think, you know, the number one movement um, w- without me being there always has to come down to Maeve Nelson's walk off against UCLA. You know, that was the moment that declared that this team had arrived um, when you beat a team like UCLA, who is a a a a constant national title contender and you do it, uh, you know, in such dramatic fashion in front of a national audience. Um, and um and 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 just sort of shock everybody involved. I think that are, that announces you've arrived in a big way. So it's hard for me not to think of that just chronologically as moment number one. Um, but there have been so many great ones. I mean, Rachel Lewis breaking the home run record with Tammy Williams uh, cheering her on from behind the the screen was fantastic. Um, you know, just having the 
this is not really a moment, but having the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year unanimous, by the way, and Daniel Williams, and the Big Ten Player of the Year and Rachel Lewis in the same season is just is so remarkable. It's like if you had it's like if in basketball, if Veronica Burton was, you know, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, as she was this year. And then also Northwestern had the, the Big Ten Player of the Year, but it was a different player. Like, can you imagine? That's just not right. a thing that happens very often. Um, even with the teams that win, you know, Michigan did it last year um, with a similarly dominant in-conference um, run. But it's but to have the pitcher and player of the year so definitively is just remarkable and speaks to the team. But um, yeah, I mean, the other the, the outside of those like couple big moments, I think the the thing that stands out to me the most is that there have been so many smaller moments from different players. Like it's something you mentioned earlier, John, you could think of a home run from every single player. I could think of like three big hits from every single player uh, in terms of in clutch situations coming through. Um, and I think it's just that consistent clutchness, even if they've, this team has struggled at, at, at very specific times, the runners in scoring position and other uh, similar situations, the clutchness throughout the lineup um, in big moments in the non-conference and in, in big moments in conference play in this past weekend, and hopefully in this coming weekend, um, the way that that's been spread around the lineup has just been so incredible. I feel like fielding highlights in softball are few and far between. I was, yeah. I was, just, like, about, I was just about to about say. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, in yeah. Washington, <laughs> right? Like Oregon. Oregon, game, Oregon. Right? Uh, yeah. was Oh, yeah, the Oregon the game. game. Absolutely. But, absolutely. But then, like, Rudd throwing players out left, right, and center. Yeah, and just, like, it's been um, – the, the highlights, like like John, when John, when you say this team has just had a, like a, a feeling about it from the beginning of the year, like that just resonates so much with me because there's been there's been magic throughout the season and it has been um, it's partially why we've been so excited about this squad and it's been so easy to to jump on board and support them um, fully all all year long. I yeah I was thinking the same thing where I'm just like there you know again to draw the parallels to you know 2000 the 2000 football season or like the 95 football season and be like we all have watched highlight packages of those seasons that just go on and I think when this magical ride does come to an end whether they go all the way or or at whatever point it happens right um, that final highlight package that cuts it all together is going to be something that we're all gonna gonna watch so many times it's just going to be such a special thing uh no i'm curious you know beyond the great moments as someone who's literally been in a seat for for some of these moments um is there any particular call that you've enjoyed the most from this season oh wow uh there have been some big ones uh when when rachel lewis put it on the roof uh this year um which was the second time I'd gotten to call her uh, hitting one on the roof uh, in her career. Um, that was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's not easy to put that ball up there over that 50 foot tall, you know, Welsh Ryan arena wall. Um, and to get the chance to call that was incredible. Uh, I've gotten to call a lot of really uh, impressive home runs this season uh from, from a variety of different players Maeve Maeve Nelson's hit some absolute moonshots um just some lasers out of here from from throughout the lineup that I'm going to remember for a while um Danielle Williams against Iowa uh this year or, or in general in her career has been just fantastic uh just Iowa specifically I don't know what it is maybe she subscribes to that football mentality you know uh she remembers <laughs> she remembers um the 80s 
But uh, something something brings it out of her against Iowa, and she was fantastic against Iowa again this year. That was such a pleasure. Um, but man, I mean, there's been so many good, great calls over the years, honestly, that some of them start to blend together. But um, that Rachel Lewis roof bomb is one I'll remember for a long time, and at really every home run, it's just it's a blast uh, when you get to call as many as I've gotten to call this season. So Friday afternoon or Friday evening um, at seven o'clock uh, is the mm-hmm. first game Saturday, 10 p.m. Central. Uh, so hopefully they've gotten their body clocks adjusted. Um, you know, we know we know all about the blo- the body clock games, right? You're exactly right. Um, um, they're on ESPN or the ESPN family of networks. They're definitely on the family. Um, I I think they should all be televised somewhere on the family and not on the app. Uh, I am checking and double checking right now. Yeah, that first game is that scheduled for ESPNU uh, Friday, and then that's that Saturday ten o'clock game is scheduled for ESPN two. So folks should be able to tune in. And if I could just, if you would, if you guys would allow me please, one non-sporter, um, I think that for non-softball fans and for people who aren't close, they don't to the sport, they don't understand what making the women's college world series means and how important this particular weekend is. And you know, we, you guys have done some comparing to those 95, 96, 2000 football seasons. Um, and making the women's college world series is like reaching a new year six bowl. If that was like a landmark in itself, that's, that's right. the status, right. For, for a, for a sport like this. And remember softball is like basketball. There are over 300 division one softball teams. When you make it to the final eight, which is what the women's college world series is, you have reached you know, the it's it's like the final four of softball. It is that place that Northwestern sports and, you know, not to take anything away from lacrosse, which really rooting for them tomorrow as well. Um, you know, from from field hockey, who whose games I call as well and had a marvelous run in the fall. Um, Northwestern sports in which there are the full slate of 300 plus Division one teams. Right. Do not get as far as softball gets outside of softball. Right. Nobody else does this. Um Basketball has has not been able to do it. Obviously, we all know that Um, the other sports, um, you know, the soccer, soccer, women's soccer specifically. I don't think men's soccer doesn't have that many teams, but the the sports that have this amount of teams at Northwestern um, softball has stood out. And and this chance to get back to Women's College World Series, something that they haven't done since 2007, um, is a landmark for the sport, for the for the program as a whole to reach. To say we've made that that third women's college world series uh, appearance in the Drohan era, um, to say we've gotten to that final eight, um, you know, analogous to the final four, and so this is a chance. And Arizona State is looking at it the same way. This is another program that has had actually less historical success than Northwestern in terms of softball. So this is a real chance, and not that it already isn't marked in history with the Big Ten championship and all that, but to really mark this program's name down. Um, in, in Northwestern history. And I was looking at this one last thing on this guy. Sorry. Um, I was looking at this the other day because in, in anticipation of talking to you guys about it, there has not been a team um, besides Michigan that is either that is, that is East of the Rockies, if you will. So I'm taking out Washington and Arizona and, and North of, you know, the extended Mason Dixon line, if you will, taking out the South. Um, you can even leave in Missouri and Kentucky if you want. They, they doesn't apply. It, it applies to them. doesn't apply to them either. Um, that has made the Women's College World Series in the past decade, besides Michigan. Only Michigan has done it. Out of all those teams up there, which is, you know, more than 200 of the, or around 200 of the 300 teams, it's only been Michigan in the past decade. And Northwestern has a chance 
to to add their name to that um, this weekend. So I think just trying to mark this in history as what two wins this weekend could do for this Northwestern squad um, and really and try to put it in perspective uh, for people who don't follow softball as closely. That, that's definitely something that we've mentioned in the past, like the the way that a, a northern team, you know, especially because yeah. the season starts in February and you cannot play softball in Evanston in February. It's just not yes. possible. Yes. But like the fact that the, the northern teams have to go on the road for the first yep. half, all, I mean, at least the first third, if not the first half of the of the season, and then yep. to be able to to come home and, and play as well as they have at the J. And, you know, to keep the momentum that they got you know, from all of those amazing tournaments early in the season, I uh, keep that rolling throughout conference play, throughout, you know, a couple of hiccups in the road here and there, you know, running into a, a really tough Notre Dame team, you know, in the middle of the week. Um, Minnesota, who we always seem to have trouble with, regardless of how yeah. good they are. Um, but then to be able to, to go into uh, the postseason, to dominate the regional the way they dominated their regional and now to be in, in a position to, you know, take two out of three from a very talented Arizona State team. I mean, take nothing away from them. But, you know, with Danielle with Williams on the in the circle, you know, it's not right. hard to imagine this team yeah. going even further. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a winnable is a thing, right? I mean, look, I, I, again, we don't want to take anything away from Arizona State. When Northwestern was in this position three years ago against Oklahoma, uh, you had your high hopes for them, but Oklahoma is a complete juggernaut. We're talking about the Alabama of college softball, and really that's doing a disservice to Oklahoma um, and Patty Gasol, <laughs> which is both that program. <laughs> um, this, is a, this, is a, this is a program that has, you know, like six of the top 15 recruits every single year. They have the three best pit, three of the 10 best pitchers in the country every year. They have Jocelyn Allo, who's shattered the home run record into smithereens. And then they also have seven other 15 home run hitters. Um, and that was that was it was still that Oklahoma in 2019. And that's the Oklahoma that, of course, looms for Northwestern beyond this weekend. But Arizona State is a team that is on par with Northwestern in terms of in terms of talent, um, in terms of coaching. I mean. I would put Kate and Carol and Trohan and Michelle Gaskin up there with pretty much anyone. But in terms of coaching, in terms of ability to deliver on that talent, these teams are on par with each other. It should be an excellent match of this weekend. And it's one that Northwestern, um, if they play their best softball, can absolutely win and make and make history. In. Awesome. The, the the one other thing that I would add, you know, on, on the backs of what you were saying about the just how many softball teams there are. Right. And right. right. And just the rarefied air for a team to be right. A quote unquote, like Northern team that is not in the pack 12 to to be in this situation. I'll tell you where you see how much it matters. And I say it because I saw it for, with my own eyes this past weekend, you see it in the bleachers at the J because you see Northwestern people there, but you see softball people there, particularly young girls and travel teams And you, especially if you're not a member of that community, you see it up close and you see what the softball community looks like and how deep it is and just how big of a deal it is. So many girls across the country play softball and so many girls trekked to Drysdale Field this year to see their heroes, this particular team, do what they don't get to see a team in this region do in the sport. They give everything right. Thousands and thousands of girls dreaming of going to the College World Series. 
growing up in a region like the upper Midwest where they're not going to see a team take that kind of trip. And now they're seeing it and it's Northwestern and everyone of those girls is being like, this is the team I dream of playing with. And I'm just like, I saw it up close this weekend and it just, it's, it's awesome. It's, yeah. it's exactly that thing. It's that magic of a sport that is truly major that like you're saying that the whole nation participates in um, and that Northwestern has a, a seat at that big table and what it means to those kids into that community. So, I mean, it's just like, it is, it's fantastic. And it's been just this unbelievable run. And after that very heartfelt, uh, thing which which was actually was absolutely great just to throw a little bit more shade uh, <laughs> even michigan even michigan hasn't done it in the six years since the by far best player in big 10 history graduated so you know once sierra romero got out of there um after setting all the all the records that will never be broken in big 10 history you know even carol hutchins uh, has not been able to get back to the women's college world series since 2016 so i don't you know, i I don't know why you thought that Michigan shade would be appropriate on this, on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm just like, do you want to start? Go ahead. If you want to just run down the rest of the Big Ten, we're here for it. Um, speaking no. speaking of shade, um, do we do we need? Should, should, I mean, it's it's a can of worms, but do we need to talk at all about why these games are not in Evanston this weekend? In terms of. In terms of Arizona State getting seated higher, or in terms of Northwestern not getting an eight, a top eight seed, or more, more of the latter. But yeah, Northwestern not getting a top eight yeah, seed, yeah. and I mean, uh, I, the, the, a lot of people are are I know, um, I know, I'm surprised I'm that the tournament doesn't reseed. Um, oh, oh, sure, sure, sure. Yes, um, the non reseeding is really interesting for sure. Um, the whole regional structure approaching um, appro- uh, approaching the rest of it is sort of an ex- a, a sort of a how we've always done it type thing um and it hasn't so, really mattered like, well, to, to their that credit point, exactly it hasn't <laughs> yeah. come up yeah well here here's the, here's the here's the really interesting thing you know there's two unseated on unseated regionals this year or unseated on unseated super regionals this yeah. year um we talked about Sanford Oregon State um and there's also Arizona and I Tennessee forget, right or um it's maybe it's Mississippi State that's who it is yeah, Arizona, that's Mississippi right. State yeah. um and that has there's only ever been two ever two other unseated un, unseated regionals in the history of the tournament. So the upsets are happening more than ever before for sure. And that's might be something they have to take a look at is is the possibility of reseeding because um it it does kind of suck for Northwestern to I was have gonna to go say to Tempe. In in a season where you could definitely call the quality of the seeding into question, it sucks to be the number nine seed in that yes. year. Yeah. Yes. But, but regardless, say, Northwestern yeah. Northwestern had their chance to close out the season as a top I, eight seed. You know, I was going to ask how close. Like, so let's say yeah. they hold on against Michigan in the Big Ten yeah. tournament, mm-hmm. go on, maybe lose to Nebraska in the title game. Is that enough? What like would they have also needed to take maybe one more game against Minnesota? Like, like how far off were they? I was approaching the the Minnesota weekend, saying that Northwestern either needed to win that series and win two more games. They needed to win four more games, is what I thought. So I what I was envisioning was two games in that series and reaching the Big Ten tournament final, or a sweep in that series and winning game one in the Big Ten tournament. Now, they lost two of three, so then I was envisioning, I went into the Big Ten tournament weekend thinking, okay, they need to win the tournament to, to, to get a top eight seed. And then they almost did win the tournament. So I yeah. th- I personally think... If they had won the tournament, it would have been enough. It's a more reactive committee than other committees in terms of conference championship weekend. Um, 
I think if they won, if they beat Michigan and beat Nebraska, that's two top 35 RPI wins. Michigan is a top 25 RPI win. Then I do think, you know, whether it's Arizona State that gets the boot or whether it's um, Bama, I guess it would have been. Uh, it, uh, no, Bama's a six. Yeah, uh, I guess o- Oklahoma been. State was Oklahoma gonna, State, which well, beat it's Oklahoma. Difficult. It's tough, right? Well, it's tough because they also beat Northwestern. Yeah. Um, Barely, in, right. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I think that they probably slide Northwestern ahead of Arizona State, probably, if if they win those last two games. But, you know. It's not it's not too too bad to go to to get the chance to go to Tempe, you know that that whole Northwestern softball community is not going to be there that John talked about, but a lot of it's going to be there. Those former players are going to travel. the 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 parents are going to travel, and there's going to be there's going to be plenty of purple in the stands at Tempe this weekend. A hundred percent. I should I should qualify. Like the reason I brought that up was more to um more to get your your perspective on how close Absolutely. they were versus. Absolutely. I think they were I, very I, close. Yeah. I don't want it to come off as sour grapes because I think like the, to your point, the opportunity was there. Right, right. You know, the, the non-receding thing is what it is. Everybody knew that going in, right. like, what, like, whatever. Um, well, the thing is, it's I mean, just a bummer. The thing you look back at is Alabama, right? And they people were talking about them being overranked all season Yeah. Um, as a team that, you know, stayed super high in the RPI because they got to play the SEC schedule, even though they had some really scratching losses, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And then last weekend, they didn't show up against Stanford uh, and got bounced. So, you know, it, it certainly gives gives a little bit more um, credence potentially to those look that looking to that looking back. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's hard to have too many sour grapes when Northwestern knew what they needed to do in the last couple of weekends and just couldn't do it. So. Well, hey, Noah, they know what, I, they, need, they, know what they need to do now. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Exactly. It's ahead of them. It's ahead of them. No doubt about it. Well, hey, Noah, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. Um, you know, this is really, really awesome to to get your perspective on this team. And, you know, I, I, I know we're all excited for this weekend's games. Um, and hopefully we can get it done in Tempe and uh, make our way to the, to the World Series. Because, boy, wouldn't that be something? No doubt about it. Such a pleasure, guys. So fun to talk to you. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade of prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, he opened his own firm specializing in wrongful death and personal injuries cases. Among the cases he handles are car accidents, truck accidents, motorcycle accidents, boat accidents, and all forms of transportation. He also prosecutes construction accidents, nursing home abuse, medical negligence, birth injuries, slip and falls, products liability, and whistleblower retaliatory discharge cases. His results speak for itself. Millions recovered for his clients. No fee unless he wins. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy is the cornerstone of the Simpson Law Group representation. Call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. Uh, once again, thank you for Noah to, to jump on with us tonight. Uh, that was just awesome. Um, you know, really, really excited for this weekend's games. Uh, also this weekend is the final four in lacrosse. You know, it is Memorial day weekend. You know, it's the Indy 500 and women's lacrosse finals. Um, and Northwestern is usually playing in, in that. And here we are again, uh, taking on North Carolina. Um, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it, it, it's, it's a tough task. I mean, North Carolina is really, really good, but uh, I mean, th- this team is really firing on all cylinders. North Carolina is such a defensive powerhouse. Northwestern has really found um, some of their offensive stride these last few weeks and have put up a great defense of their own right. Um, 
it's going to be a clash of Titans. And, you know, the cats are certainly an underdog coming in just because of North Carolina's pedigree, because they lost head to head earlier in the season. But, um, I, that they have, they have the talent and they have the potential to win. They, you know, they might need a couple breaks to go their way. They might need just, you know, a really good game from some of their key players, uh, be it, be it Doucette, um, uh, be it Girardi, et cetera. But, uh, the, the potential is there. We'll just, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out on the field. Right. And I think it's, it's, you know, kind of to juxtapose what we were talking about earlier um, with the potential team that lies beyond the super regional, right? Um, Oklahoma, right? And this, the juggernaut that they've been all season long. Well, North Carolina is, I mean, they're undefeated. They're 20 and 0, but they're not a juggernaut the way that Oklahoma is a juggernaut, right? Like, they are a very, very, very good lacrosse team, right? But this is a team that just, they beat Stony Brook 8-5 last game, right? And um, this is a team that in the ACC championship, to get to the final, they had to beat Notre Dame, and they won 14-13, right? And that's a team that Northwestern beat. So this is um, a team where they are fantastic. They are the class of lacrosse. At the same time, Northwestern's very best game is enough to beat this team. And I think that's that's just like you said. I mean, like, we know what this team's capable of. We saw Syracuse. Uh, we know they're playing their best lacrosse of the season, Northwestern is, right now. And if they can bring that into, into North Carolina and they can get the kind of game that they're looking for, that's definitely enough to spring a huge upset. Interestingly, this game has been moved up um, because I guess there's, there's weather expected. Uh... Yeah, they're 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 expecting some weather in uh, yeah. in Baltimore, uh, so they they did make it a little yeah, bit so earlier. This game's at eleven thirty Central, twelve thirty Eastern. Um, the Maryland Boston College game will happen in the afternoon around three p.m. Um, so just I mean it's just like an interesting wrinkle, but um, but man, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a hell of a weekend, boys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, another thing that could make it a, a huge weekend is you know we're hearing rumblings and grumblings um you know if you read between the lines on some of these uh you know football coaches twitter well, feeds, I, I mean um, I don't, you don't have to read between the lines okay? i know like, it's john, like john o'neill was pretty explicit yeah jim like jim o'neill and like Louis, jim o'neill thank but there's, you sorry but but right i mean we've sort of talked about this before where there've certainly been been years past seasons past where you know louis the care will start tweeting things out and being like, Hey, I got a good feeling or good news is coming. And sometimes he's, he has information and sometimes you feel like he's just reading the tea leaves and has good situation either way. Right. Like, you know, he's plugged in and he's either being, you either get the feeling where he's like, he knows something or he just has a really good feeling about something. This season is different and it's not just Louie. Over the past couple of weeks, there are, multiple coaches louis and ufbr where you can feel like everyone's like look we know a lot of good stuff is coming down the pipe and we know who it is and we have a pretty good idea when it is it's just like for whatever reason all the ducks are just in a row this season with top players who have had great experiences we know about that may 13th visit right but it's just like this year 
the magic is just there on the recruiting front and these guys are coming and they're coming in waves and a lot of them I think made decisions made really hard you know made really solid emphatic decisions and you know some of those decisions have already been made and we just don't even know yet so yeah it's I think we're we're waiting for for big things to happen this weekend uh anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight guys one one thing I would just tack on I mean obviously if you've all come this far in the pod with us um you listened it's pretty clear that Noah Kaufman is as plugged into NCAA softball as anyone in the country right now. Um, I mean, obviously, like you know, you you know, you know his resume. You know how many games he's called. You know how how well he knows this team. It's clear he knows everything. Um, you know that's going on in the landscape of softball right now. He gave us an unbelievable preview for this. Um, and if you just listened, and you know it's it's early in the day on Friday, and you know when we play, and you know when we play on Saturday, pass this along to someone else, right? Um, because I think this is this is an event that needs as much exposure as possible. And uh, if if you know someone who may be like, okay, I need a primer, I need a primer for what we're looking at. I can't imagine you're gonna get a better one than what Noah just gave us. So um, you know, send the word, spread it on to someone else, and be like, hey, listen to this, and get yourself ready for the softball this weekend. And with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.